This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are pleased to note that, as promised on last week's show, we are indeed going to be speaking with science writer Sharon Begley in our second segment today. Ms. Begley wrote the science column for Newsweek, uh, a column which we quoted many times on this program. She currently has an article out in the Saturday Evening Post. Its title is Why We Need Germs. And it turns out we do need germs. (laughs) Stick around for segment two and you'll learn why that is. And we're going to try and do most of the show today around science topics because they tend to be up topics as opposed to shows where we talk about political matters, which tend to be down topics. But we'll have a bit of our usual mix. And let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 14th of March. Here's a curious one. On March 14th in 190 BC, the Roman historian Livy described a solar eclipse as having occurred in early July. Astronomers today can calculate the date of that eclipse as having happened on March 14th, showing that the Roman calendar was when it was inaccurate by then by more than three months. When Julius Caesar went to Egypt a century later and discovered that the Egyptians had a much better calendar, he imported it back to Rome, where it became known as the Julian calendar. Although it was quite an improvement over the one that set them three months off from the time of Livy, it still had some problems with it and was eventually corrected in the 1600s by Pope Gregory. And we're still using the Gregorian calendar, modified version of the Julian. So I guess we all owe a debt of thanks to the astronomers of ancient Egypt. Here's another one I did not know. March 14th, 1918, here in California, the first American ship made of concrete was launched. On this date in 1950, the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation instituted the 10 Most Wanted list to publicize particularly dangerous fugitives. Well, supposedly. I'm a little surprised by this stat. From March 1950 to May 1998, of the 454 fugitives that appeared in the list, only 130 were captured. I'd say the FBI likes to convey a different impression. On March 14, 1964, Jack Ruby, the Dallas, Texas nightclub owner who killed Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of President John F. Kennedy, was found guilty of murder with malice of Oswald and sentenced to die in the electric chair. Ruby's was the first courtroom verdict to be televised in the United States. This correspondent who has quite an interest in the Kennedy assassination and the cover-up that followed did some research right here in the Sacramento area that um, bears on the case of Jack Ruby, and I think I'll save that till the end of the program. Let's close with a comedy addendum. It was on March 14th in 1993 that tiny, landlocked Andorra adopt its first constitution, ending its 750-year-old feudal system of government. Andorra, for those geographically challenged, is a tiny state located in the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain. I believe its main source of income is the fact that you can go buy stuff there that's duty-free. Our quote of the day comes from author William Arthur Ward, who said, The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. And the realist adjusts the sails. Our quote of the day comes from race car driver Mario Andretti, who once said, Everything comes to those who wait. 
except a cat. This correspondent would add an addendum to Mr. Andretti's remarks and say that cats will come to you if you train them properly. Mine do, and always have. Our joke of the day, which comes in the wake of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un saying that he's going to withdraw from the armistice which ended the Korean War, evoking this response from the writers for Jay Leno, who asked, Boy, what has a Dennis Rodman said over there? Our stat of the day is 75%. This comes from the HuffingtonPost.com. That's the number of Republicans who say President Obama would repeal the Second Amendment and ban all guns if he could. As an addendum, 19% of all Americans incorrectly believe that Obama has already proposed banning all guns. I suppose which may be the same percentage that believes he's a Kenyan Muslim. But on a happier note, there's our stat part two, which is 10,554 miles. That's the distance made by a helium balloon released by a British schoolboy last December as part of a school project. The balloon was discovered in Australia. The family of Joshua Blackaby, age six, received a note three months later from a girl named Millie informing them that she'd found the balloon in her yard in New South Wales, which for those further geographically challenged is the state in which Sydney is located. While Mr. McMillan is quite skeptical of this story, reportedly a British meteorologist said that the balloon had likely been swept up into the lower part of the jet stream and carried away to its distant destination halfway around the world. Well, maybe. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. to the week magazine it was a good week last week for going vegan after europe's horse meat scandal prompted iceland's food standard agency to test beef pies from a natural foods company and while it's true that no horse meat was found turned out that neither was any beef just vegetable protein it was on the other hand a bad week last week for father guido sarducci although radio parallax can't confirm this But reportedly from Rome, the Vatican has closed the famous Sistine Chapel to tourists, at least until they elect a new pope. But the Swiss guards arrested one imposter who tried to slip in and take a look at the chapel dressed in fake cardinal robes. The part about this story I like is that the the tip-off to the guards was that the imposter was wearing a fedora rather than a cardinal's skullcap. And it was an ugly week for growing up in the modern era with the news that the Peruvian government went all out last week to locate two American backpackers after the two stopped posting on Facebook. Yes, Garrett Hand and Jamie Neal were hiking merrily along the Amazon out of cell phone and internet range. After Hand's mother hadn't heard from her son for a month, she contacted Peruvian authorities to demand they locate him. The government issued a nationwide alert for the couple and found them within a week. They were oblivious to the fuss they had caused. For the record, Radio Parallax is in favor of people going off the grid for a month at a time. A couple of decades ago, that would have been considered a couple of decades ago that would have been considered normal behavior. You're hiking in the Amazon for God's sake. Finally, we're not sure whether it's a good 
or a bad week for this item, but last week the TSA changed its rules to allow passengers to bring small knives onto planes. You can also bring your golf clubs, hockey sticks, plastic bats, billiard cues, and ski poles. There was a spirited debate on this on National Public Radio earlier this week where some representatives of the uh, flight attendants union were bitterly complaining about the notion of having knives on board. I do understand their logic, but I was rather irked to have lost my Swiss Army knife by having failed to pack it in my check-on luggage. It was a flight leaving San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I was couldn't figure out why anybody would hijack a plane in Puerto Rico. Well, unless they really wanted to get somewhere else in a big hurry, which if you've been to Puerto Rico is somewhat understandable. Anyway, let's take a look at some miscellaneous stories, such as that Dennis Rodman in North Korea item. Apparently, Rodman told ABC's This Week, about a week ago, that he loves basketball. I said, Obama loves basketball. Let's start there. And if you saw on the internet the various pictures of the young Kim Jong-un dressed in uh, Dennis Rodman's uniform, well, I think somebody may want to check the Book of Revelations one more time to see if this is not one sign of impending Armageddon. And as for using Dennis Rodman as a diplomat... He told Newsman he was aware of North Korea's human rights record, which the State Department has characterized as one of the worst in the world, and said he wasn't apologizing for Kim. Rodman said, he's a good guy to me, adding that as a person-to-person, he's my friend. I don't condone what he does. But you know, come to think of it, I think I would like to see Dennis Rodman come to the Sacramento area to see if he can't lobby for, uh, for keeping the kings. I say that in the hope that he can grease the skids to get their butts out of town and up in Seattle as soon as possible. All right, let's jump into our own version of News Roundup, starting with this item. Herbal Viagra is probably not what you think it is. Following the line of reasoning that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is, it turns out that several herbal remedies for erectile dysfunction sold online actually contain Viagra. Researchers at Arcadia University in Pennsylvania purchased 10 popular natural uplifting remedies on the internet and tested them for the presence of sildenafil, the active ingredient in Viagra. They found the component, or a similar synthetic drug, in seven of the 10 products. This is cause for concern because it can be dangerous for people with some medical conditions. Speaking as someone who treats erectile dysfunction professionally, I would like to second that motion. Adding that if you have ED, you're not likely to get better with a product sold under the counter at your local liquor store or online from some dubious vendor. All right, here's an interesting item. Yahoo is trying to ban working from home. It's been said for years that we'll be able to eliminate uh, all this wasted energy and moving about the country by having people go into work, by simply having them work in a home office, but... Apparently, people's productivity is falling when they're stuck at home. And the useful interchange of ideas that takes place at the water cooler and elsewhere is not going on to the degree it should. So Yahoo has said, no, we're going to have to move away from this. We're going to try and follow that story. Another item we're going to follow but don't have time to go into much detail today on is the fact that the nuclear industry in this country is now struggling to compete with natural gas. Article by Steve Mufson in the Washington Post notes that just five years ago, nuclear industry executives and leading politicians were talking about an American nuclear renaissance, hoping to add 20 or more reactors to the 104-unit U.S. nuclear facilities. 
Today, those companies are holding back on the face of falling natural gas prices and sluggish and uncertain electricity demand. Only five new plants are under construction, while at least that many are slated for permanent closure or shut down indefinitely over safety issues. Well, thanks to fracking, apparently natural gas has become really cheap in this country. We have a huge supply, but it still produces CO2 when you burn it to generate energy. In fact, because it's cheap, we're producing more CO2 now. Well, I guess technically we may be producing less since we are substituting the cleaner burning natural gas for coal, but this is not a long-range solution. Speaking of poor solutions, the government, both state and federal, is now trying to crack down on doctors prescribing too many pain pills. Now, it's true that some doctors do prescribe too many pain pills, and we are seeing an uptick in the number of people who are addicted to prescription pain medicines. But for the longest time, DEA and others had made it so difficult for doctors to prescribe pain medicines that a lot of people out there were suffering needlessly. In fact, there was a big change in thinking, at least in California, after a lawsuit where a doctor was successfully sued by a family for under-medicating their loved one's pain. That case was apparently so egregious that the California Medical Board sided with the plaintiffs. While acknowledging that there are some bad apples out there in the way of doctors, and certainly patients, an effort to restrict the prescription of pain medicines is probably going to do a lot more harm than good. Of course, I would add that that opinion, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Chris, when we have all this talk about cracking down on doctors and all this footage we see on the nightly news of raids of pot farms, etc., how about this headline, article by Foon Ree, Sacramento Bee, Unsolved Homicides Pile Up by Hundreds in California. Editorial in the Bee on March 10th by Foon Ree has a picture accompanying it Noting uh, a candlelight vigil for a person that was one of 140 unsolved homicides from 2000 to 2012 being investigated by the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department. That's just local. Is it possible we're not making sensible use of police resources? I've kind of gotten, I'm kind of gotten off into the political stuff, haven't I, Mr. McMillan? Yes, indeed. All right, let's get more science and more positive here. How about this news item that Lake Tahoe is apparently getting a little bit bluer. Piece by Edward Ortiz in the Sacramento Bee, March 3rd, notes that uh, apparently the worst Lake Tahoe was was in 1997 when its clarity level dropped to 61 feet. It has now bounced back up to 75 feet thanks to 15 years of environmental measures. Of course, this correspondent can remember back in the late 60s, early 70s when the figure was 102 feet. But that is a number going in the right direction as is the number of seabirds down in Anacapa Island off of Ventura. Article in the LA Times by Steve Chalkins notes that efforts to kill all, 100%, that is, of the island's rats has has proved successful. And with no rats to eat the baby birds and, uh, and the various eggs on the island, the populations are thriving. Of course, I note in the piece by Steve Chalkins that uh, this was a controversial extermination problem. In fact, a lawsuit from the Fund for Animals called the Poison Drop, which was used to kill all the rats, an ecological disaster. That uh, suit was dismissed. 
A protester was apparently arrested for allegedly seeding the island with vitamins that he claimed were rat poison antidotes. He was acquitted. And the oddest thing about it, apparently those antidotes did contain Viagra. No, I'm making that part up. But uh, if you're really mourning the loss of rodents on Anacapa Island, you can take heart in the fact that the native deer mice are bouncing back. The rats were eating them too. And in some other good news, apparently there's been a resurgence of the herring fishery in San Francisco Bay, which apparently is the last commercial fishery in San Francisco Bay. Which was curious to me is the fact this is the first year since 2007 there have been enough herring to have a harvest. But anyway, we have to figure that uh, this just has to be good news in general, and hopefully it's not just a red herring. Ow! Speaking of California's fishing industry, we have to do a brief uh, quote, I think, from uh, Another View, editorial by Zeke Grader, special to the B, March 3rd. Starts out by noting the California fishing community agrees with B executive editor Joyce Terhar's assessment that the Department of Water Resources has made a modicum of progress in improving public access to documents. That was a forum piece in February 24th titled Public Agencies That Do It Right. But he notes that on the whole, the DWR remains disingenuous. It is hiding relevant material in plain sight, substituting truly meaningful access to public information with a mere data dump. This is especially the case in decisions and funding for the multi-billion dollar Twin Tunnels Project, a pork-laden boondoggle that would starve the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta and San Francisco Bay of the freshwater flows needed to sustain jobs, fish, and our economy. He notes the appearance of access is intended as a sop to critics of the plan, but that uh, as the nonpartisan legislative analyst's office has pointed out, the off-budget nature of the state water project obscures the profound water-related problems and sky-high costs to taxpayers. Hidden financing is creating huge leverage and significant benefits for a handful of water contractors who have commandeered the best seats at the decision-making table. Meanwhile, the public's purse gets snatched. I recommend you read the entire piece in the B from Zeke Grader, Executive Director of the Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Associations. We will continue to follow that one. Well, I'd like just to mention in passing the piece from New Scientist, February 2005, titled Climate Change, Menace or Myth? Sadly, eight years later, we still see people trying to promote the myth idea. But I did love this one piece I saved from The Economist, August 14, 2004, the Lexington column, noting that the Republicans have made a bad mistake in pitting Alan Keyes against Barack Obama. That looks pretty on the money. Chris is right up there with Paul Krugman's column this week explaining about how badly conservative pundits have done in economic forecasts, which is absolutely true. It goes right alongside the poor forecast made by more liberal economic pundits, though there are occasional exceptions, I suppose. Just that I never seem to find out about them. But let's close with an item from the May 2004 file. This came from New Scientist magazine. I don't know whether we did this in the show back in 2004, but at any rate, we're doing it now. What's described as what had to be the most far-fetched Nigerian 419 scam. An email back in 04 started, I am Dr. Bakari Tunde, the cousin of Nigerian astronaut Air Force Major Abacha Tunde. He was the first African in space when he made a secret flight to the Salyut 6 space station in 1979. 
He was later on a Soviet space flight, Soyuz Tu-16, to the secret Soviet military space station, Salyut 8T, in 1989. He was stranded there in 1990 when the Soviet Union was dissolved. His other Soviet crew members returned to Earth on Soyuz T-16, but his place was taken up by return cargo. There have been occasional supply flights to keep him going since that time. He is in good humor, but wants to come home. And this just gets better. In the past 14 years since he's been on the station, he's accumulated flight pay and interest amounting to almost $15 million. This is held in trust at the Lagos National (laughs) Savings and Trust Association. If we can obtain access to this money, we can place a down payment with the Russian space authorities for a Soyuz return flight to bring him back to Earth. I am told this will cost $3 million. In order to access this trust fund, we need your assistance. Dot, dot, dot. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time to touch down. Anyway, anyone who fell for that scam probably deserved to lose their money. Kind of reminds us of that W.C. Fields quote. Fool and his money were lucky to have gotten together in the first place. Actually, that might have been H.L. Mencken, but it sounds funnier as Fields. Anyway, let's take a short break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We're going to come back and talk science with one of America's foremost science writers, Sharon Begley. Sharon Begley. 